0: Hello, and welcome back to the Event Lab podcast. On today's episode, we're discussing the Gender Equality Charter, a new initiative being set up at the Higher Space Officers. But first, I spoke to Steve Taylor. Steve is the Communications Director for the European Pride Organisers Association, and he came in to talk about the process of organising a Pride Festival and how collaboration with events professionals can benefit everyone involved. So, I'll hand you over to the interview. So, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the uh, Event Lab podcast today. It's amazing to have you on. Um, Yeah, would you like to give the listeners a little bit of an introduction about yourself and what it is?
1: Yeah, so I got involved with Pride in London in 2013, which was a new organisation that took over the running of London's and the Capital city's Pride event. Um, And I had various roles with them until last year when I retired, I suppose is the word, Um, But I'm also uh, on the board of Europride, which is the European Pride Organisers Association. Um, And I was a founding member of the UK Pride Network, which uh, two years ago uh, started with 90 different prides in the UK, and there are now 130. So kind of a huge increase, and I think a lot of that is down to the network, kind of facilitating and helping people get them set up. Um, and in my day job, I work in Brussels, and I'm a, a communications director for a LGBTI human rights organisation. That's amazing. So
0: yeah, so I guess that's um, that's why I wanted to have you on the show because I mean, it's the you know volunteers and there's so many pride organisations put so much sort of hard work and dedication into into making these things happen. Uh, and you had an article in Access All Areas kind of, talking about what uh, events professionals can do to sort of better collaborate with. Mm with these volunteers, instead sort of making better uh, Pride events. So we also have a little we'll chat about that. Uh, and of course, it's um, it's LGBT History Month, so we thought... It is. Yeah, we'd, lo- we'd just love to find out more about what goes into, into making an amazing Pride event.
1: Well, I mean, you know, we're, we're coming up now to the, I guess, the, towards the 50th anniversary of the first Pride in the UK, which was the first Pride in Europe. That was in London in 1972. Um, and it was a group of people who marched with the police... We're not sure whether the police were protecting them or protecting the public. Um, and uh, there, were, there were a couple of thousand people, Peter Tatchell being one of them, obviously the kind of old school mm-hmm. activist who's still around today. Um, and over the years it's developed and it's become now, if you look at certainly Pride in London now, which attracted last year over a million people to the streets. Um, you know, 30,000 people in a parade, 70,000 people through Trafalgar Square over the course of the day, but then if you look back at the history, 20 years ago, the, the festival part of Pride was on Clapham Common, it's been in Broccoli Park, in Finsbury Park, so it's moved around. It's now very much a central London event, but with lots of festival events that take place um, around different areas of London. Um, And as I said, now 130, more than 130 Pride events around the country, from those big festival prides like Manchester and Brighton to, you know, significantly important ones like, uh, like Glasgow, Edinburgh, Belfast, Cardiff. Um, but then also now there's there's tiny little Prides appearing. Midsummer Norton in Somerset, I think it's in, um, had its first one a couple of years ago. I think there were 11 new ones last year. Isle of Wight, the first UK Pride on a Beach took place last year. So the kind of the growth of Pride in the UK is is, is huge. And I think that that's a really good thing because as much as in the UK, you know, LGBTI quality is, you know, we're, we're not far off. There's still some areas to improve, but we're not far away. We do need to increase focus on LGBTI rights around the world. You know, I've heard this morning that an LGBTI activist in Turkey has been arrested by police because of the things he's put on social media, and still just crazy, calling for yeah. equality. You know, so there's still a long way to go, and Pride's an important part of, of raising awareness of that.
0: Yeah, so I guess your your work with EuroPride and sort of fostering the sort of more international uh, sort of awareness and cross you know, cooperation is really
1: important. For that I mean, um, so how did EuroPride get started? So Europride started in 1992 was the first one, and that was in London, um, and it was when a group of pride organisers from across Europe, and in those days I think there was Brighton, Manchester, London, Brighton, Manchester, London, yeah, I think, oh, and Birmingham, I think they, those were the four prides, but all the, a, a lot of pride organisers from around Europe got together in London in 1991 and, and set up the European Pride Organisers Association and decided to have this thing called Europride. Um, the idea was that one pride a year would be the focal point for the whole of Europe. Um, so it started in London. It came back to London in 2006, and it was World Pride in London in 2012. <clears throat> um, and you know, it, it moves around the it moves around the continent of Europe. It's been to Warsaw. It's been to Riga in Latvia. Um, this year, it's in Stockholm and Gothenburg in Sweden. The first time it's in two cities. Um, and it, and it, it relies on the local Pride organisation bidding um, to host it. And members of uh, EuroPride Pride look at those bids and vote at the AGM. Last year, for the first time, we had four prides bidding, um, which were Bergen in Norway, Brussels, Hamburg in Germany, and Thessaloniki in Greece. Um, and it went to Thessaloniki because, you know, there are st- I went to Thessaloniki Pride last year. It was my first experience of tear gas, as police dealt with far-right activists trying to disrupt Trying to disrupt the march, so it has a real important element to you know to take uh, the European Pride movement to different bits of Europe to show um, you know the diversity of of the continent we live in.
0: Yeah, no, that's that's amazing works I mean, um, yeah, I mean, what does it mean for? I guess uh, so. Sort of like local Pride, it must be a huge honour to host you know the Euro, Euro Pride and kind of winning that winning that bid. Um, so you have the, the, the local the experts but uh, so what's the sort of cooperation between sort of, the local activists and the uh, and the sort of the wider Europride sort of organisation like how does, how does that sort of come together?
1: So we issue the licence for Europride a bit like the Eurovision body <laughs> issue it to the country that wins yes. Eurovision um, and I suppose there are a number of similarities there um, and we then work with the organisers over about three years leading up to it and we support them um, so I'm going to Stockholm next month to, uh, we call it an inspection visit, but to go and help them and see where, where there is that we can give them assistance uh, just to see how they're doing and if there's anything we can do to help. Um, and then uh, when it comes to the big event, we go, uh, you know, the whole Euro Pride board is there and we, um, there's usually a human rights conference that we take part in. Um, and towards the end, there is a closing ceremony where we have a big quilt which has a panel for each Europe Pride that there's ever been, and we hand that over to the next city that will have Europe Pride. Wow,
0: take. so like, also like the Olympics and the... Uh, like the, the flame, the, the, yeah. The flame handover. <laughs> yeah,
1: so we hand over the quilt this year to... Uh, oh my God. Completely... Oh. So we hand <laughs> over the quilt this year to Vienna, who have Europe Pride next year.
0: So in terms of the sort of production of the event, like I imagine there's quite a lot of reliance on... Um, on this kind of local experts to source sort of, uh, production capacity
1: and kind of bringing everything
0: that is needed for largest together.
1: Absolutely, because it goes from everything you know that the the licensing from the local authority to put on the event um, to have music. Are you allowed to have alcohol? You know, there's different rules everywhere, and so it's very much down to the organisers who know their country, they know how it works, they know their local suppliers, they know the local event scene to be able mm-hmm. to tap into that. Um, where it, where Europe Pride sometimes differs is that it makes it can make a, a, a pride even in a capital city it can make it much bigger because it brings in pride tourists from across the world. Sometimes.
0: Yeah, huge for huge for local companies. Yeah,
1: so uh, in Riga in Latvia where there was an enormous police presence, there were almost as many police as us um, because of the levels of homophobia there. Um, you know, it, it was for them it was about creating a much bigger event with no more money. Um, and, and trying to tap into local suppliers who could who could support them in in, in making the event successful increasingly we're looking at we're seeing bids from uh, prides who aren't capital cities so thessaloniki hamburg uh, you know Manchester have put in bids before in the uk um, and and so sometimes in those places like Thessaloniki where there's less infrastructure for for major public events it can sometimes take a bit more support but that's a good thing you know mm. euro pride doesn't have to be in a capital city um and in a similar way in the uk um last year was the first uk pride which took place at hull um which obviously coincided with hull being city of culture yes um and 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 you know hull is quite a it, it's i'd say it's a medium sized pride over the course of the day, they normally get 5,000 people through their park. Last year with UK Pride, they had, uh, I think, just over 16,000 people, so a threefold increase. Um, and next year's, uh, sorry, this year's UK Pride is on the Isle of Wight, where last year they had their first Pride, which was enormously successful. Um, And this year, they are having UK Pride, so it's going to be much bigger. And you think, you know, the Isle of Wight, well, it it does have quite a famous festival already. It's used to lots of Mm. people, but actually, you know, the Isle of Wight Festival doesn't take place on a beach. And so there's lots of different infrastructure issues that they're (laughs) facing and, uh, you know, looking at how do we accommodate many more people than we did last year when we were full all day. So there's, a, there's various different um, challenges that Pride organizers face, just depending on scale. And because most of them are free, so you don't have ticket sales, you sometimes don't have any idea how many people are going to show up. You can be reliant on the weather and all sorts of different things.
0: Yeah, so I mean, I mean funding the Pride events must, must be a tricky thing. So I guess you have sort of professional events producers, suppliers, who are perhaps skeptical of doing so much with sort of limited budgets. Uh, and Perhaps you know, not as cooperative with the kind of volunteers as they could be. I mean, what uh, I guess, what advice would you have for uh, people sort of in the events industry for sort of cooperating more and sort of working with the, uh, the pride organisations?
1: I, mean, I think my my perspective comes from from Pride in London, where in, in 2012 the organisation collapsed, and so a new organisation mm-hmm. had to be found to set up to run London's Pride event, and it was by and large set up by people who'd never run set up or delivered a public event before Um, and so it was lots of people who were just kind of taking advice from a few people who knew um, but actually bringing in advice from some event professionals who Mm -hmm. gave pro bono support and from the second year onwards actually engaging a major London events company to to deliver the production side because there was funding there to do it Um, I think what you do find with Pride is that because you you wouldn't do this if you weren't passionate about it, you Mm -hmm. wouldn't give up most of your spare time, um, and indeed most of your summer, to do this. If it wasn't something you were passionate about, and if you're passionate about it, you're going to want to do it right. Um, and I think that there's, a, there's there's things that the that what we you know what we call events profs could learn from pride organisers, and vice versa. Um, and it might be even just uh, you know offering a couple of days support, uh, you know, or you know. Let's have a meeting every couple of weeks in the two months leading up to your pride. there might be things we can help you with. We might know local licensing off like local licensing people who can help you we might know local bar suppliers uh, you know we might be able to help you uh, work out your event management plan or your event control center you know there's lots of things that event profs if they just want to be philanthropic and support mm. the local community there's lots of ways in which they can do that and I think also there's things that they can learn from pride organizers who you know, in London, on the day of Pride, Pride in London mobilises more than 1,200 volunteers to deliver the event. It has three, two to 300 volunteers who work all year round. Now, if you're a commercial events company, ethically, you're not going to be able to get volunteers because you're there to make money out mm-hmm. of delivering a service. But in terms of mobilising people, and festivals rely a lot on volunteers who come for, for the ticket and, and then steward at the festival. But I think there is there are areas where uh, Pride organisers and event professionals can work together. Um, and, and learn a lot from each other. And the classic example for me is uh, Proud Events, which is a, a London-based events company, which was set up by uh, two guys, three guys, Ben, Harry, and uh, Andy, who have huge pride experience, probably 20 years of pride experience between them, um, and gave up their previous careers, um, you know, very, good, uh, very good jobs to set up an events company and are doing fantastically well, not just LGBT event, in LGBT events, but in mainstream events. So that's the level that people get to through pride. It's not. It's a mistake to think of pride organisers as always being, uh, you know, amateurish or not really knowing what they're doing. Because I've seen some incredible production at pride events, not just in the UK but across Europe as well.
0: Yeah, I mean, it must must take some real skills to be able to go from sort of organising an event in a capital city like London to suddenly then organising a similar event on uh, the Isle of White beaches. I mean, there's just just the sort of the. uh, the sort of quirks of different the, 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 the different locations, will sort of thrown. Sort of that's and, it, and every
1: think. yeah, and every single pride is different, you know. So yeah, 130 prides in the UK, 130 very different events, different values, different organisations, uh, you know, different stage lineups. Some have marches, some don't. Some have stages, some don't. You know, there's a there's a vast array, um, and and that's why that's why going to I find going to pride so enjoyable because you see so many different uh, production setups.
0: Mm, I imagine there's a, a lot of prospect land from, I guess, just what it takes to coordinate with local communities and kind of uh, adapt to to their needs. Mm. Is so it um, But I mean, London Pride every year always generates such an incredible buzz. Like it's always it's sort of you can kind of feel it in, in the city. But I mean, there's I imagine um, there's a lot of venues that could benefit that from both supporting and and promoting it because then it brings in so many people for who come in for the event and all of the the pride tourism that occurs that. Yeah, lots, of, lots of people will be looking to book after parties, side events.
1: There is that, but then it's also, uh, you know, because because London has had Pride for 45 years now, it, it, it's a fixture on the calendar, and so the bars, for example, in Soho know that they're going to be really busy that day. Mm-hmm. So actually, the, the difficulty for them, or the difficulty for Pride in London, is to say, well, why should they support us? Because they're going to be busy. They're not necessarily busy all year round, and, and the money that they make at Pride weekend... When LGBT venues are facing huge financial pressures just to stay open, the Pride weekend can actually be a, a pot of money that supports them throughout the rest of the year. Um, and you know, hotels in London in July are usually full of tourists. So you know, why should they offer special deals to Pride? It's quite a difficult. It's quite a difficult yeah. area to um, to navigate. And lots of people think, oh, you know, Pride in London must get everything given to them, thrown at them. Actually, the the, the sponsorship and fundraising uh, and partnerships team work incredibly hard. Because it costs a million pounds to deliver Pride in London, uh, the mayor gives a, a, a proportion of that, but the vast majority of it has to be raised, uh, you know, and people don't generally donate to Pride, um, so it's a, it, finding the money to deliver it is, is incredibly difficult. Whether it's London on a million pounds or, you know, a, a small pride on 10,000 pounds, you have to find that money somewhere and that's often the most difficult thing. So, you know, support from event professionals who might be able to lend a bit of kit yeah, um, or, you know, lend a bit of expertise can make an enormous difference.
0: Yeah, no, it's so, so important to, uh, for the events industry to try and try and lend that help right mm. now and then you know, we uh, we sort of all benefit.
1: Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, no,
0: it's fascinating to hear about. But um, I know you, uh, you've only got a short amount of time, so I thought we'd we'd wrap up this interview with a a couple of quickfire questions. Okay. These just kind of fun little fun little things, just to just to get an idea of, uh, of you. So uh, it'll be either or. Just you. I'll uh, I'll give you two options. You just pick one. Okay. Okay. So
1: tea or coffee? Uh, tea with two tea bags. Strong. Very. Paris or Rome? Paris. Fiction, non-fiction. Oh non-fiction.
0: Ooh. Summer or winter? Summer for all the prides. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Doesn't even need asking. Punk rock or classical? Oh. Ooh. Classical, I think. Damn, that's a tough <laughs> one, I don't know. It depends on my mood. Uh, finally, Danny DeVito or Danny Dyer.
1: <laughs> Can I have neither? <laughs> Dyer, Danny Dyer, I suppose. <laughs>
0: Uh, yeah, thank you so much. It's been yeah so insightful to to have you on, and yeah, hopefully we'll see we'll see more support um, mm. and that kind of shared expertise between between the pride organisations and the events industry.
1: And if if any event professionals listening want to get involved, if they go to the prideorganisers.uk website, you'll find all the prides listed on there, um, and get in touch with your local pride, and I'm sure they'd be really pleased to hear from you.
0: Yeah, that'd be great. Are there any um, sort of social media? Uh, things people should be looking out for?
1: Well, it's worth following um, Pride Organisers network on Twitter, um, which is at UK Pride Organisers and they have a Facebook page um, and that brings together all but two of the Pride Organisers in the UK. So it's a really great place to start if you want to make that connection.
0: Uh, And if anyone's interested in in volunteering for uh, for any of the Prides, is there there a place they can sign up to do
1: that? Well, again, it's each Pride because they're all different, completely separate organisations. All their websites have, this is how to volunteer. Um, it's often if you're coming at this from a, an event professional background, you're not just you know somebody who wants to help out, but you've got serious expertise. And um, then it's you know definitely worth looking at the contacts on their website and contacting their chair or you know a senior member of the team and saying like this is what I've got to offer because uh, you know I think most prides would always be crying out for people who've got skills and expertise in event delivery to 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 get involved.
0: Yeah, great. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay. Thanks again to Steve there for coming on the show. It was brilliant to talk to him, and I'm definitely looking forward to London Pride in the summer. Up next, I'm speaking to Tess from the support team at Hirespace about a gender equality initiative being set up in the Hirespace offices. The issue of gender equality, I think, is one that is particularly relevant to the events industry, especially in the light of recent scandals such as the ICE gaming conference and its showgirls, as well as the misogyny that was seen at the President's Club. So I'll pass you over to Tess, who will tell us more. Hi, Tess. Thanks so much for coming on the Event Lab podcast. We really wanted to get you on to talk today about the gender equality charter that is being set up at Space. Could you maybe tell us a little bit about how that got started?
2: Sure. Uh, so myself and uh, one of my colleagues here at Space called Remy recently went to a hackathon at Barking and Dagenham Council that was about gender equality and one of the things that they have at Barking and Dagenham Council is a gender equality charter and they're actually the first London borough to have their own gender equality charter and it got us thinking here at Space about what we can do to kind of promote gender equality uh, in our own workplace and so we decided to take inspiration from them to put our own gender equality charter together. Um, it's really exciting for us, uh, and I think it will go far to really improve the employee experience here at space um, And one of the things specifically that we found when researching just gender equality charters and... Gender equality in the workplace is that there are there are some that already exist, like the one at Barking and Dagenham. The financial services industry also have their own gender equality charter. There's actually very few industries that kind of specifically set out those kinds of guidelines and agreements within the industry. So, whereas at the moment we're just at the kind of very early stages of putting this together. Specifically for the workplace here at Higher Space, we do hope that as a company in the events industry, we can go on to kind of pave the way for other people in the events industry to to create a similar kind of initiative um, in their workplaces as well.
0: So this is quite a, it's quite a unique, uh, I mean, Charlesthaw is obviously rare within industries in general, but it mm. probably is a first in the events industry.
2: I hope so we've We've certainly not seen anything specific at the moment, and I think it comes at a good time, obviously feminism and the huge movements going on at the moment to counter sexual harassment um, You hear about them basically every day, um especially since you know a couple of incidents within our own industry of events with the President's Club. And the kind of the whole showgirls at the ICE gaming exhibition that's all raised um, a lot of speculation about this kind of thing happening in the events industry. So it comes at a really good um, kind of moment, and yeah, it's certainly a very good place to start, I think once you've been able to put something together for your own workplace, that's when you can look into kind of growing it out to to your whole industry, especially when you have um, those connections like Hirespace. We're so connected to not only event bookers but the venues as well, that we're really in a prime position, not just to kind of... um, be thought leaders in our industry as far as our work but the culture that we're hopi- hoping to cultivate as well I think we're in a great position to to be front runners here
0: yeah I guess because it's such a it's a very close-knit industry both professionally as venues and event bookers are so uh interdependent that you can use that kind of close-knit community for sort of positive change
2: yeah absolutely and that's that's always what we're hoping to deliver um mm-hmm. And I think especially in the media, you hear so much about the negatives. What we, especially the women in, in higher space, have have tried to focus on is that positive contribution and, and positive changes that can be made rather than just um, keeping the focus very negative and, and kind of um, complaining to each other or kind of just focusing on things that have gone wrong. It's all about how we can change them, how we can move positively forward towards a place that is um, productive and enjoyable for everyone.
0: So, is a charter like this that is being set up by Space something you'd like to see sort of catch on in the wider industry?
2: Yes, absolutely. Yes, um, I think it's important to lead by example, and that what we do can go on to be something preventative rather than reactive so with the President's Club incident it was only after that happened that people were then um, rushing to sign the Women in Finance Charter Um, and what would be great to see is something like that helping to prevent those kinds of incidents Um, so what I see, like my my kind of personal vision is a charter that people sign. They agree to um, certain uh, kind of visions for the industry, whether it's um, the gender equality across senior leadership roles um, or certain actions to recruit um, gender balanced teams, whatever that might may, may be. Signing a charter like that as a company in the events industry could be really powerful because it then raises awareness. And when you have particular events companies um, kind of being on board with that and also venues, it's something that can be promoted across such a huge amount of people because when you think about the events industry, it's not just the people putting on the events and, and and the professionals involved in, in that aspect of the industry. It's the people attending those events, because it's, it's all well and good saying, um, you know, a, a gender equality charter could have prevented um, incidents like that that happened at the Presidents Club. But actually, the people who attended that event and the people who attend many events they're not the professionals who would have signed up to a charter like that. But if something like that can, be, can have a big enough awareness that when you book your event at a venue or when you um, kind of sign on with a particular events company to help host your event, if it's got enough of a presence, if a gender equality charter has enough of a presence within that company, a certain kind of behaviour is then expected and I think what that goes on to implicate is accountability for what may happen at events um, and it gives people a certain amount of protection where if they feel like something um, something unfair has happened to them as far as gender discrimination or sexual harassment they have something to back them up in the form of a gender equality charter that will serve as kind of their platform for getting action done to, to solve whatever happened, if that makes sense.
0: <laughs> so I guess, yeah, I guess in terms of implementing more of, the, uh, getting more companies to sign up to, to charters like these, it, do you think it really needs to come from kind of lead, leadership positions within these companies? Because we uh, spoke to Helen Moon a few episodes back about, sort of encouraging uh culture change in companies to improve uh mental well being in events. And she was she said it was really important that like leadership teams take this up in order to kind of enact a kind of a, a change in culture, uh in that case to improve the kind of mental well being. But I imagine there's probably st- very strong ties to uh people feeling more comfortable and that they have opportunities in the workplace. So would you say that the sort of leadership it has a has a very important role to play in terms of affecting changes like
2: this? Yeah, I think leadership does have an important role. But I wouldn't say... I wouldn't go so far as to saying that people who aren't in leadership roles shouldn't speak up about it or be afraid to take the lead in promoting initiatives like this. And I think where... Where positive change really comes from is from seeing people in leadership positions that resemble you. When you see someone in a leadership position who you relate to and you can identify with, that's what inspires people to, to grow. And that's why it's important to have more of a gender-balanced leadership across whatever industry so it's definitely a role to play as leadership to be seen as not not even to be seen as but to actually be proactive in creating gender equality in your industry but if you experience or um or just kind of, if you experience gender equality as someone who's not in leadership, you shouldn't be afraid to go to your leadership and say, this is what we should have. And this is the expectation that I have for how I want to be treated in the workplace. So because without that, without people saying what they want, you won't get anywhere. So, and that's you know, in part, how we've started at Space. It's not always been leadership wanna want do this, so that's what we're doing. You know, Higherspace are great at listening to their employees and and being proactive based on what everyone says. and so that's that's how it all started, kind of as a group, as a company, on all kind of levels of seniority and leadership. We talked about gender equality and having more women in leadership, and and that's really how it got started. So it doesn't, even though leadership does have a very important role to play in, in kind of moving everything forward, people shouldn't be afraid to be the movers and shakers, um, despite not being in, in a, the most powerful position.
0: Great stuff. Yeah, I think this is definitely something we'll see, discuss more uh, at Event Lab. We had a discussion, I think it was a discussion panel about it at Event Lab 2017. Thanks to Tess there for speaking to us. Absolutely an issue we would love to see the events industry make more positive progress with. That about wraps up this episode of the Event Lab podcast. If you'd like to get in contact with us or perhaps ask us a question, suggest a future topic, or even appear on the show, you can email us at eventlab at hirespace.com. You can follow us on both Twitter and Instagram at eventlab underscore HQ. And for more information about live events, particularly Event Lab 2018 this October, you can go to hirespace.com forward slash event Thanks for listening.